Welcome to Direct Impact, where we discuss the various ways our mental health and quality of life intersect. I'm your host, Andrea Epstein, licensed professional counselor, master's addictions counselor, and certified sex therapist. Think of our time together as focused self-reflection mixed with insight, passion, and empowerment. Now, take a deep breath. Now let's dive in and see what impacts you today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Direct Impact Podcast with Andrea Epteen. And I'm so excited to be with you guys. Um, we've got an amazing speaker in store for you. His name is Michael Alsay. He is a PhD and he's a clinical psychologist. He has a private practice in New York and he's a mental health educator at the Manhattan School of Music. And we are so excited to be with him today. We are going to be talking about what Introverts, ambiverts, and highly sensitive people need to thrive mentally, emotionally, personally, relationally, professionally. And we're also going to be talking a little bit about Michael's book. He wrote a book called Therapeutic Improvisation. And this came out in 2022. So this year, and it's everywhere that books are sold. So welcome, Michael. Great to be here. Looking forward to having a little conversation. Same here. Yes, love it. And so one of the first questions. You know, I just feel like our audience might have is what are some of the differences between introverts and extroverts? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. We we tend to think of it like you said, our our, our extroverts are more social and our introverts are more bookish. There's some truth to that, but a big part of it is how stimulated do you get? And introverts get very, very stimulated very, very quickly. And so those large group gatherings, those more outer oriented things can tire them and drain them out. Whereas an extrovert has a higher threshold and they actually prefer that stimulation and that stimulation feels rewarding. So Uh one man's treasure is another man's junk, right? Like, so one man's social stimulation feels great and energizing and another one, it feels like it burns you out. Mm, I, I love that. And when I have conversations with my clients, you know, one of the things I, I say is kind of like what, what charges your batteries and what drains your batteries. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's as simple as that. I mean, if we know, if we know how to use our cell phones and think about that and we know how many apps are running. So another way of thinking about it for an introvert, they have probably more apps running because introverts tend to process a lot internally. Mm. And so the stuff that's coming around, like I have a client who lives in New York city And he's definitely an introvert. And all of the stimuli, the noise of the subway, the noise of the neighbors, all of that stuff gets processed and it it takes out from all that energy. That's very well put. And, you know, I do, for instance, just personal, I consider myself to be more of an ambivert, (laughs) but, you know, because I love social settings on an intimate level, though, when it's all of the, you know, walking in New York City, I feel like I do need more alone time or downtime or moments to recharge. Is that... Yeah. And you know, you you bring up a really good point because we don't tend to focus on the ambiverts in culture. We tend Mm -hmm. to focus on the poles. Like we're a culture that looks at binaries a lot, right? Right. 
yeah, you know, politically, yeah. whatever. And it turns out that I like to think of them as triplets, right? Like that there's an introvert, there's an ambivert, and there's an extrovert. And an ambivert is interesting because they have a little bit of both. Like, so they will like the social stimulation to a certain point or a certain kind, like one-on-one or small group. But after a certain amount of time, let's say an hour or two, they get tired and need to replenish by doing something more introvert-centered. And then they can be as extroverted as the the best extrovert. Uh-huh. So I like to think of them as like the hybrids. Like if you think of uh, extroverts as gas-powered cars and and uh, introverts as electric cars, then then the ambiverts are the hybrids of the personality set. That's a great analogy. I'm, I'm all, hey, can I steal that one? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So do you see any trends? Because you, you do this work, you're in this more often. Um, do you see any trends between neurodivergence and neurotypicals when it comes to being more introverted, extroverted, or ambiverted? That's a really good question. It's it's so hard because, you know, when we look at this idea of neurodivergence, it's such a big umbrella. And yes. so neurodivergence can take in a lot of these different facets. And I think one of the interesting ways that's good about the term is that we're looking at people more individually. And I think one of the interesting things as well, the most important, I think, is that we're looking at what is a person's nature, what Mm -hmm. is sort of their temperament, what is their wiring, and what is the environment, and what's the optimal kind of combination and compatibility of those to make someone live their sort of best life. Oh, I could not agree with you more. And I I just feel like it's understanding our brains, understanding our chemistry, understanding how we work, how we thrive and how we use our interests, right? Completely. (laughs) And and everybody has a really unique instruction manual, but there are a lot of like kind of common trends. So like it helps Mm -hmm. to know if you're an Mm -hmm. introvert or an extrovert, it helps to know that you're a highly sensitive person. Like a highly sensitive person is someone who also like an introvert is very tuned in to what's going on around them. They could be tuned into light. They could sound all the above. They could be really perceptive and empathic, which many highly sensitive people are. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so learning about how to create healthy boundaries and, and also noticing how things are affecting you that might not affect the 70, 80% of the population that isn't highly sensitive. Yeah. How do the highly sensitive people and more introverted individuals who are more internal processors, how do they tend to approach their work? Yeah. um, You know, a lot of the like introverts are always looking at ways of trying to go inward to understand things and try to Mm -hmm. piece them together and and highly sensitive people, because they're picking up on so much stuff, they're always trying to find forms. So I also think it's not surprising that a lot of artists and creators and creatives are highly sensitive people. Um, Even engineers sometimes are highly like there can be people like who you wouldn't expect stereotypically that could be highly sensitive. Like I've worked with highly sensitive engineers as well, because they're always kind of like trying to figure out things. Right. Yeah. Put the puzzle together. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Love that. Listen up, Direct Impact Nation. You know how important routine, structure, consistency, and accountability is on the road to recovery and personal discovery. Well, I have developed the perfect companion for you on your journey. My plan to recover journal is thoughtfully and specifically designed for the person looking to achieve long-term success and recovery while gaining personal insight, 
awareness, emotional intelligence, and spiritual integrity. The Plan to Recover Journal will help you stay recovery-minded, practice your priorities, and build a healthy relationship with self and others 12 hours at a time. To preview and pre-order your copy today, visit www.lightninginabottle.biz backslash journal. That's www.lightninginabottle.biz backslash journal. And don't forget to get a PTR journal for a friend on their journey too. Direct Impact Nation will save 15% when you use the promo code IMPACT. That's promo code I-M-P-A-C-T. With the purchase of your PTR journal, you will become part of an exclusive community dedicated to recovery and self-discovery. Visit www.lightninginabottle.biz and let us take you from want to to willing and from willing to healing. Yeah, so where does creativity and like professional development intersect? You know, it's interesting because it's a combination. Like if you don't know how you work best, it can affect you in relationships. It can affect you in terms of your own personal energy levels, but it also Mm -hmm. can affect you at work, right? Like, so uh, I've met many wonderfully intelligent and capable introverts who would have challenges in meetings uh, because meetings are very extrovert centric, right? They don't always, it's not always about what's the best idea. It's about who talks Mm -hmm. first. Same thing, even with conventional education in America, right? It's sometimes not only, not always who can kind of ponder things for a good 30 seconds, 45 seconds before they answer. So so it's really interesting. And the other thing, it's really interesting to, to know about what are your energy levels so that you can be bringing your best self forward. Because what happens to somebody who's like, let's say an introvert or an ambivert who has been overstimulated or sort of burnt out is that they will appear like, I like to think of it like when you get hangry, you get crankier, you get crabbier, you get edgier and, and you know, people will feel that energy And it really has nothing to do with the fact that that's a permanent feature. It's a temporary situational thing, just like hunger. Mm, That's good. So it's really helpful for you if you're an introvert or ambivert or highly sensitive person at the workplace to figure out, wait, when do my levels get too high and how can I take care of them? And, you know, maybe it's not good for me to like schedule back to back big meetings if I can. Or maybe if I'm in a big meeting, maybe I could take myself out for a bathroom break or a walk break to recenter and come back. Or maybe even in the meeting, maybe I could be kind of like writing some notes and connecting to my inner voice a little bit more. Mm. So there's a lot of just, I think, little tricks and strategies to stay tuned. Yeah. And I'm sure that you help people identify those tricks and those strategies and help them implement them as well. Yeah. And also looking for introvert, like, like refuges and sanctuaries, like where's the quietest places in the building or where are the places where you could get a good walk in, like I said, so that you can recoup. Right. Cause we don't all have the nap pods like Google, right? Exactly. Yeah. We don't always have that. It would be nice. And, <laughs> and that's the other thing. It's funny. Cause if you look like sometimes at office spaces like that, it was like the open concept thing. And then you like have these little pods and it's sort of, it sort of shows you how highlighted what it actually looks like to live in a largely extroverted world. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So 
tell me this, you mentioned polarization um, mm-hmm. and we do, we see it every day and it just seems to have accelerated drastically in this country and also perfectionism. Yeah, I would like for the audience to understand a little bit more about how perfectionism really stifles our creativity and um, our ability to, you know, grow and learn. Yeah, you know, they're actually sort of two sides of the same coin, perfectionism and polarization. Uh, They're both sort of ways that we try to deal with trying to be more fully in control of something Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and also trying to believe in the illusion of our own omnipotence, right? Like (laughs) it's not easy being human and it's not easy to recognize that there are multiple dimensions and complicated, complex dimensions. And I think sometimes we go to these shortcuts because it it eliminates some of the anxiety and the stress of making it very clear. I'm either a clear winner or a clear loser, or you're either a clear winner or a clear loser. The problem is there's this really interesting book that I'm reading. I can't remember the author's name. It's, It's called Both End Thinking. And it's all about like really engaging paradox, but instead of going for the either or, mm-hmm. trying to see the both end, how can I look at these challenges and these complex issues and not just settle on one or the other? There might be some aspects of truth here and some aspects of truth there. It takes a lot more emotional, intellectual sophistication to stay through that process. Mm. But I think perfectionism and polarization sometimes makes us feel more powerful. Uh, Just how sometimes, you know, if we get angry about something, it makes us feel more powerful, even though there are other more complex emotions usually underneath anger. And also when we get to polarization and perfectionism, there's underlying fear or hurt lurking around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, as if, wait, I I should only be this thing or the world should only be this one thing. Mm And I think it's it's hard for all of us to stay with the fact that it's not only this one thing. Absolutely. And when we're experiencing a great deal of toxic stress or we haven't really reprocessed um, our traumas and our hurts and our wounds, I feel like we do have that tendency and dis-ease in a state of dis-ease to have everything be black and white, all or nothing, always and never, because that's e- easier to navigate in those times. And you bring up a really good point that I want to kind of give people some compassion for and give yourself some self-empathy here is that we're actually built in a sort of survival way. When push comes to shove, when things are hitting our trauma places and notice when we talk about political polarization, often it centers around something that's either an individual trauma or even a collective trauma. Mm -hmm. It's never neutral stuff. It's not like wait, what do you think about like sunny weather? Like, you know, like it's nothing like bland like that. It usually hits on something more loaded. Uh And we are built in a healthy way to go to fight flight when to go to those survival mechanisms. And part of that survival mechanism is also to cut off other things. Mm -hmm. And you asked about creativity. Well, if you think about it, dissociation right? Or any, or is, is what we call diabolical. It cuts, it throws, it, it, it tears apart is where the root of diabolical comes. And what's the opposite of diabolical? One of my mentors taught me this is, is symbolic, Mm. which is to throw together and which is creativity. And creativity is not just about tearing something apart. It's about 
finding ways of making connection between seemingly different things. All right, I want to tell you about Brain FM. Some days our focus is stretched thin. Different sources of stimulation regularly wear on our attention. Working from home can obviously exacerbate these issues. At best, curated playlists can be a crapshoot. Whether they'll actually push you to be more productive, who knows? This is why we use Brain FM. These guys have neural phase locking audio technology and fire soundtracks that shift your neurons into focus mode. Visit brainfm.com. That's www.brainfm.com. Use the promo code Direct Impact for great discounts. That's Direct Impact with no spaces. Now, visit the link in our show notes. And I think it was John Bradshaw, or at least he talked about this in his, um, you know, when he was doing his talks on healing the shame that binds you, he said, um, as soon as you think you know the answer, you've killed your creativity. <laughs> yeah, because you need to have you need to have a child's mind or, or sort of beginner's mind. Uh-huh. And that's the other paradox of being human. I think we forget in order to be, and this is really important for those of us who are like in our 20s um, and 30s even, or even teenagers as well, is like, we want to grow up so bad and we want to feel capable, but it's also important to remember that the f- most fully grown up person is integrated between their child selves and their adult selves. And when they're working and collaborating, you have the best of what I'd call an expert's mind and a child's mind. Mm. And if you That's look well at some of the, you know, the great like innovators, engineers, doctors, musicians, artists, you could see the integration of those sides and it's, it's, it's a more sophisticated. And I think sometimes perfectionism makes us feel like I want to grow out of these things, mm-hmm. but why would you grow out of your humanity? Right. And why should we also forget others humanity in our dialogue? By the way, so when we're talking about polarization, my, my, my always my advice is instead of, Instead of staying with the hate, instead of following the hate, follow the hurt. Mm. Look Mm -hmm. for the hurt. That is where the nuance and dimension is going to be on their side and on your side. Mm. And I couldn't agree more. I also feel like one of the things that's worked for me and I recommend for others is when I notice my hurt or my anger coming to the surface when I'm... um, engaging, you know, somebody else in their opinion, I try to respond with just curiosity and just asking more questions and really showing up with an open mind because, you know, at the end of that, the anger really subsides and it's like, wow, you know, that, that was, that was about me, not about their opinion. (laughs) That was an old hurt. (laughs) Yeah. And, and creativity thrives in, safe surprise, enjoyable surprise. Uh, You know, it's one of the reasons why we like a good joke is because a good joke surprises us. And that's what makes comedy so powerful. And that's also what makes novels so powerful. It's like, Mm -hmm. we don't know where this character is going to go. And that mystery, that excitement about discovering something new has us in. And so, but we also have to recognize that most, there's some times that we don't really want to be surprised and and it scares us, it scares us and it makes Mm -hmm. us feel like, no, 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 I want to be in total control of where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of takes me to my next question. And, you know, I love to ask mental health professionals this question of, you know, what cultural shifts 
would we like to see, what we'd like to see implemented in order to really address this epidemic of anxiety and fear, polarization and depression? I think I think it's really helpful uh, for us to learn how to know and, and use our own operating system to kind of <laughs> use an analogy. It's like, I think sometimes we lament the fact that the psyche is so sophisticated but that's what makes us so interesting, you know? And I think sometimes even the anxiety that we notice in, in folks and, and depression, it's completely understandable. I just think it's really also important that we don't pathologize ourselves too much and recognize that, that the anxiety and depression are the result of these natural tensions and conflicts that come with trying to be more fully dimensional as a human being. So while I'm really glad that we've destigmatized the sense of feeling comfortable talking about what's happening inside, going for counseling, I think that's wonderful. I think that's great. I think it's also important that we don't over-identify. In other words, like even like post-pandemic, like people are like, is it more anxiety? Are, you, are there more anxious people out there? Well, yes, but it's also, we've had these strange, challenging, adverse, almost pathological conditions. So I don't know if it's anxiety. I think it's also the fact that we're trying to creatively master tensions and conflicts. Mm. So I think the way people talk about this stuff also of not getting so black and white, is it in me? Am I anxious? Or is the world anxiety provoking? I think we want to kind of look at this as always as sort of back and forth. And, and by allowing mm -hmm. to see that, mm -hmm. and also the fact that there's light inside the dark, there's possibility in terms of anxiety. There's possibility in terms, like Carl Jung said, any neurotic condition like anxiety or depression was already the beginning of the creative growth. So I just sometimes think it's it's a really positive thing that we've been able to talk about these issues, but I don't like to one-dimensionalize them as problems. Yeah. And so some of the things I heard you say um, in that was, you know, as far as what cultural shifts could there be is, I, I heard in there some compassion, compassion for self, compassion for others, and really diving into relationship, relationship with ourselves and yeah. how we experience the world around us and others. So compassion, relationship, tolerance, all of those yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. And also, and also mm -hmm. I think like you're suggesting too, is that to see, I think one of my big missions is to help people out there, but also therapists see that to be fully human is a creative venture. And, and sometimes we, we conventionally think of creativity as, oh, did I make a painting or write a symphony? And I think it's true. That's a wonderful aspect of our creativity as human beings. But I think actually psychologically tuning in and working with these things is a creative act. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit for how miraculous and wonderful that is. And I think when we look at it from that standpoint, you don't see yourself as, oh, I just have this anxiety. Right. 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 Did Picasso mm -hmm. say, oh, I'm just I feel like I'm painting anxiety. 
No, like figure, <laughs> he, figure, he figures out like, what am I doing with the feelings that I'm, tr- that I'm experiencing and noticing what's happening in the world and how can I represent them? How can I express them? How can I contain right. them? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a much more interesting question. And it has like, it does everything that you said. It allows us to have self-compassion. It allows us to connect more fully with others and, and our environment. And to me, that's a much greater human goal. Yeah. And the other thing I just heard you say was safety and expression. Yeah. Safety and expression is just a huge thing that I feel like is, is missing right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I feel like it is, it's key in our ability to, whether it's painting through, you know, and showing, you know, expressing emotion through that, or if it's just feeling safe uh, with a coworker, <laughs> I just, I feel like that's missing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, listen up. I just need to say how life-changing Canva has been for our team. It packs the value of one, maybe even two, full-time employees saving me thousands. It is valuable money and time that I can put back into my business. Thank you, Canva, for making all the things possible. Use Canva for your social media posts, professional graphics, presentations, digital courses, posters, videos, logos, and much, much, much more. Canva is a must-have for real, y'all. With thousands of professional templates, images, and quality content to choose from, it's like having an experienced graphic designer and content creator in my pocket. With Canva, you can collaborate with your team and tackle projects together in real time. At Lightning in a Bottle and the Direct Impact Podcast, we use Canva for just about everything. And honestly, I don't want to imagine doing business or engaging our amazing community without it. For all these reasons, we have become a Canva affiliate. Please go to our show notes and check out Canva, www.canva.com. Go to our show notes and check them out. And don't forget to use our promo code, IMPACT to support this podcast. Now, back to the show. Yeah, and you know, the other thing that's so funny too that you kind of highlight is we talk a lot about the importance of inclusivity and diversity in our culture and sort of multicultural appreciation. And I think as much as we are doing that on the outside, which is, a, like you said, also welcoming these different things, I think we also want to think about diversity from the inside out that we have this tremendous diversity inside of us in these different aspects of ourselves. Like while women said, I'm large, I contain multitudes. We contain multitudes and it's important learning how to honor and contain and express those multitudes. Mm, Very well put. Yeah, thank you so much. Is there a call to action that you might have for our listeners who really want to find a safe expression and a way to be creative and, um, you know, in, in all aspects of life, whether it's personally or professionally, like what's the call to action for them? I mean, the call to action is for, for, for artists, one, to recognize that your art doesn't just happen in your work, whether you're an actor or a musician or a painter, that your art also happens in here. Mm. And for those who are non-artists, who don't even think of them having an artistic bone in their body, being human and relating to this stuff is an artistic act. And so my call to action is, is to see the fullness of our creative capacities in, and that's why I I jokingly half jokingly describe it as what, what I teach therapists in the book that I wrote is about how to read the changes 
like a jazz musician that that helping people learn how to read the chord changes of their lives and and listen for the music within what seems like noise is the art yeah and and i think we're all reading the changes we're all trying to read the changes and trying to make something out of them and so i think my call to action is to to inspire people to see that rather than to feel like oh my god i'm just bombarded by the changes right Right. I love that. Thank you so much. Could you tell us just a little bit more about therapeutic improvisation and professional development? Because I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, about the book and about the concepts behind it. Yeah. So uh, it's sort of inspired because I work at Manhattan School of Music. So I work with, you know, these musicians and artists and a lot of talent around you. (laughs) A lot of talent. And I thought, you know, we in the field of if therapy, as you know, Andrea, like we we consider this an art, but a lot of it is a science as well. And I found that we sometimes we individually to ourselves we think this is artistic, but we don't share it as a group. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we can have a book that showcases what an art it is, but it's grounded in the science? So it's it's a neurosciency relationship therapy oriented book, which is like every therapist needs to develop their voice, their distinctive signature voice, just like an artist. And by doing that, we help to summon and conjure the artistic voice in our clients. And and this is something that cuts across different theories, different interventions, but it's something that we're all working on. And so I wrote this book for both my graduate self, you know, graduate students like me, mm-hmm. early career cl- clinicians, and even veteran therapists to say like, this is what we do. And, yeah. and to sort of take pride in that and to celebrate the, the joy and the richness of, of what we bring. And I thought, you know, having that here, I'll show you a picture. I, I had it. I had them do a jazzy cover. Oh so, yeah. Look at that. I love that. Because I wanted, I wanted to showcase how dynamic and colorful the psyche is and, and how what we're working with is really, really wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I hope, I hope it kind of adds something to the mix and the dialogue about what it is to be a therapist, but also what it is to be a creative self. Right. And I hope, it is my hope that you and I as psychotherapists are modeling that today, right now. Like this is a creative outlet. Um, The opportunity for me um, Mm -hmm. to have this podcast and to create content is a creative outlet for me that I did not have two years ago. And you're right, you wrote a a book. That's a creative outlet. I mean, so I feel like, you know, I've got some pride right now because I feel like we're modeling that to other professionals. And I think what's great about that too Mm -hmm. is that I think we always want to be doing that. Mm-hmm. No matter what our field is, we always want to be finding a way to connect to that creative place. And that's where that's right. the energy is. That's where the joy is. That's where the fulfillment is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's great stuff. Yeah. Well, Michael, I'll say thank you so much. Um, today, you have made a direct impact. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for so having much. Me. Yeah. This is fun. Yay. <laughs> it was so much fun. Does anyone else feel like they just earned an extra brain wrinkle? Do you feel like that went by way too fast and just cannot wait till the next episode? Then leave a review and share this episode with a friend, a loved one, a coworker, or whomever, because your valued feedback makes a direct impact. Thank you for dropping in. Snaps to you because you have made a direct impact by listening to this podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media and stay tuned every week for a new episode of Direct Impact with Andrea Epstein.